Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. High political drama on Capitol Hill. The big bank CEOs grilled by members of the House Financial Services Committee. I'll bring you my exclusive interview with House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters. The Democrat from California says get ready for a quote-unquote new day. Plus, the Fed minutes revealing that they that there are, are some rate flexibility during a year of patience. But we have a very special guest with us in studio, Brian Hook. He is a senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He's the special representative for Iran. We ask him about what it means for the U.S. withdrawal from the Iran nuclear disarmament deal. I want to get to that exclusive interview. But first, let's get caught up to speed on what we missed today from Nancy Lyons. Nancy? Thanks, Kevin. As you mentioned, chief executives of the banks, sometimes dubbed too big to fail, defended their bigness today before the House Financial Services Committee. Bloomberg's Irv Chapman was there. The bankers cited international competitiveness. Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan moves approximately $6 trillion around the world every single day for our clients, American corporations, multiple bond issues. That would all have to be done by other large banks not based in the United States of America. James Gorman of Morgan Stanley. We are responsible for about 21% of all equities trading around the world. Effective markets depend upon institutions like ours being able to make markets. If we're not doing it, there'd be a huge gap. The bankers urge that regulations be harmonized to level a playing field with big foreign banks. On Capitol Hill, Irv Chapman, Bloomberg Radio. Attorney General William Barr was back on Capitol Hill for a second day today, being grilled by lawmakers about the Mueller findings. Congress is still waiting to see the full Mueller report. Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware says Barr dodged questions about how much of the report the White House has seen. I think it's really striking that Attorney General Barr had yet another opportunity to state clearly, I did not share this report with the White House. I did not brief the president on this matter 
before it's released to the public in Congress, and he declined to do so. Barr did tell lawmakers he does not know if Robert Mueller supported his conclusion that the special counsel's report had insufficient evidence to establish President Trump obstructed justice. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan's plan to toll and widen the Beltway in 270 has dodged a potentially long delay. Bloomberg's Martin DeCaro with that story. Maryland Transportation Secretary Pete Ron convinced state lawmakers to drop legislation that would have effectively delayed the highway plans for three years. We have to do something about traffic congestion. But opponents say the state's moving too fast to get these massive projects approved at a time when Maryland should be building more public transit. Transit by itself cannot resolve this choking congestion. Ron intends to solicit proposals from private road building companies this spring before the necessary environmental studies are finished. Martin DeCaro, Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 HD2. An unidentified gambler in Nevada is betting $85,000 on Tiger Woods to win the Masters, a wager that would pay out $1.2 million if the one-time golf superstar takes his fifth green jacket this weekend. The bet at 14 to 1 odds represents the largest liability for a single golf ticket in William Hill's seven-year history, taking wagers in the U.S. You can, by the way, catch full Masters coverage starting tomorrow right here on Bloomberg 99.1. Well, it's time now for the Beltway Business Report. For that, we go to Bloomberg's Larry Kofsky. Well, Nancy, minutes from last month's Federal Reserve policy meeting contain no surprises for Wall Street, confirming the Fed's dovish policy tilt this year. Most Fed officials believe that economic conditions would likely warrant holding the line on interest rates. It was a narrowly higher day on Wall Street. The Dow Jones Industrial Average added six. The S&P 500 rose 10. The Nasdaq Composite gained 54. Turnaround efforts are starting to pay off at Bed Bath & Beyond. The home goods retailer offered a better-than-expected outlook. But there's more to be done. Same-store sales for its latest quarter fell more than forecast, even as earnings beat estimates. Details have begun to emerge about what may be the biggest initial public offering of 2019. Investors could get their first look at detailed information about Uber as soon as tomorrow. A source says Uber is seeking to raise about $10 billion with its IPO. The Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. area stock index gained a tenth of a percent. You're up to date on business from the Beltway to Baltimore. I'm Larry Kofsky. This is Bloomberg 99.1. 105.7 FM HD2. Thanks, Larry. Global News 24 hours a day on air and at TikTok on Twitter. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Now back to you, Kevin. Thank you, Nancy. It was a remarkable day in the Rayburn House building. We're going to have much more reporting from the House Financial Services Committee room where House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters convened the largest bank CEOs, Jamie Dimon, David Solomon, all of them. Uh, and for hours, hours, they were grilled one after the other. Uh, the largest gathering of bank CEOs since the Great Recession. But what will come out of it? Not much, if you ask Republicans, but I'll bring you the latest on that. But we are joined now by a very special guest and a special edition of Sound On for Bloomberg Radio. Brian Hook is with me in studio. We just got off of Bloomberg Television, uh, and I'm thrilled to have him uh, for, for our first two segments. He's a senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and truly the architect in the administration of U.S.-Iran policy. He's a special representative uh, for Iran. Uh, and there was remarkable foreign policy news 
blink and you'll miss it, especially with this news flow uh, earlier this week. Because on Monday, uh, the U.S. designated the Revolutionary Guards Corps, which is a, a military uh, organization inside of Iran, a terrorist organization. And this is the first time, Brian, that this has ever happened, that the administration, any administration, has taken a step like this. Explain to me precisely how this decision came about and what exactly it means. Yeah, Kevin, it, this, this is the first— Sorry about that. Your mic was off. Now you're on. Right. Sound on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, Kevin. This, this is the first time that the United States— has designated part of another government as a foreign terrorist organization. And the decision that Secretary Pompeo made really underlines that the Iranian regime's use of terrorism makes it fundamentally different from any other government. They use terrorism as a tool of their foreign policy. It's an essential element of what they do. So when we hear about instability in the Middle East, Typically, Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps and its Quds Force are a or the principal driver behind the terrorism. So with this particular step, in addition to the, the U.S. withdrawal from the JCPOA and the sanctions that have been going back on, what, what is the U.S. signaling to Iran? The, we are trying to deny the Iranian regime the revenue that it needs to sustain its destabilizing foreign policy. And that's where I want to take the conversation. But Because by labeling this a terrorist organization, you're essentially saying you can't do business with these folks. Yes. The Revolutionary Guard Corps controls up to half of Iran's economy. And well, half of the economy? Yeah, up to half. There's wow. various estimates. But uh, the regime has put in place this Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is active uh, across most sectors of the Iranian economy. So when foreign direct investors do business in Iran, they don't know whether they're facilitating commerce or terrorism. And it's very often the case that a lot of the money that goes into Iran ends up on the battlefields in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen, various places, supporting Lebanese Hezbollah, supporting Hamas. And we're trying to get at that revenue. During the Iran nuclear deal, we suspended our oil sanctions on Iran. We also suspended our banking sanctions. Getting out of the deal has given us enormous economic and diplomatic leverage to uh, deter Iran's threats to peace and security. Brian Hook is my guest with me in studio. He is the special representative for Iran and a senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. What's the ultimate end goal with Iran? You write about this in your New York Times op-ed. I was reading it over the weekend and again in preparation for this interview. What is the ultimate long-term U.S. goal for Iran, especially now that we've withdrawn from the JCPOA? We want the Iranian regime to behave more like a normal nation and less like a revolutionary cause. This is the last revolutionary regime on earth. And the Revolutionary Guard Corps is the instrument that it uses to export revolution. For example, has, uh, Lebanese Hezbollah, 70% of Hezbollah's budget comes from Iran. They give them $700 million a year. And you go around the region in Yemen, where we have a humanitarian catastrophe. The Houthis have received hundreds of millions of dollars from uh, the Iranians to sustain their warfighting effort against Saudi and the Emirates. So we are trying to get Iran to pull back to its own borders. And if we were to imagine in Iran 
that invested its money in its own people and stopped uh, uh, engaging in this adventurism around the Middle East, the Middle East would look a lot more peaceful and a lot more stable. And that's our goal. So I, I find this interesting. Brian Hook, our guest, he's a senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, because it, it really is, especially in a globalized economy, it, it's about stopping the access to capital uh, from from these regimes. And, but how do you strike this balance? Because everybody knows, obviously, in the energy sector world, the oil markets, I mean, it, they're so interconnected. How does the administration, how do you, Brian Hook, how do you strike that balance with uh, adding sanctions against Iran, but also, you know, not hurting uh, U.S. partners and, and U.S. Empl- employers? It's true. Uh, Kevin, you raise, you raise a really good question. Eighty <clears> percent <throat> um, of the regime's revenue comes from oil exports. And a lot of those exporters are around Asia, countries like China, India, Korea, Japan, Turkey, a whole range of countries. We have taken over 20 countries that used to be importing Iranian crude to zero. At the same time, we have uh, avoided volatility in the oil markets. And the president's direction last year, when we reimposed our oil sanctions, was to impose as much economic pressure as you can, but don't lift the price of oil. Now, we had to do that at a time when we had a pretty tight and fragile oil market. Now, in 2019, where the forecasts show supply exceeding demand, we're in a much better position to accelerate our goal of zero imports of Iranian crude. Um, But so far, we've been able to successfully balance our national security objectives and our economic interests. All right, coming up, uh, Brian Hook stays. We've got much more to talk about, especially in terms of uh, where ultimately U.S. policy goes from here. And also there's this Platts report I want to get your your take on as well. Brian Hook stays. He's the special representative for Iran, the go-to guy in President Trump's administration, uh, dictating and crafting Middle East policy, senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We are joined by a very special guest, Brian Hook. He is the special representative for Iran and the senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We're talking about Iran policy because there was this major development, uh, and we're, we're grateful to be able to dive into the policy specifics of this. On Monday, the U.S. Admin, President Trump's administration designated Iran's Revolu- Revolutionary Guards Corps a terrorist organization. It's really the first time it happened. And, and before we, we, we went to, to break, we were talking about how to, to find that balance of uh, adding sanctions on a regime like uh, Iran, but also not disrupting global oil markets. And so I, I'm curious uh, whether or not, in particular, the U.S., you think, Brian, is going to continue to grant waivers that allow limited cooperation with Iran on nuclear issues? The, <clears throat> the current policy administration is that we, we certainly aren't looking to grant any exceptions or waivers because when we do, it weakens the impact of our campaign of maximum economic pressure. And we've been able to take many billions of dollars. Um, uh, we've denied Iran a lot of revenue not only on the oil side, but on the banking side and then other sectors. 
So we've been very successful and very happy with, look, the, the leader of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, recently for the first time in its history had to make a public appeal for donations because Iran is not able to fund them at the historic level they've become accustomed to. And that's because, partly because of our sanctions and partly because the Iranian regime is a kleptocracy and it mismanages its own economy. So we've been happy with, with the success we've had to date. There is a lot more to come. We just did the IRGC last week. That is going to make those sectors of the Iranian economy that are controlled or influenced by the IRGC radioactive. It sounds like the door is shut, but there's a crack open in terms of a waiver. No, not going to preview the secretary's. Uh, as I May second is the yeah, decision. May second is when the, the the current set of waivers expire, and uh, and as I said in the last year we had uh, we had a pretty tough oil market. This year uh, we think things look a little bit better. Um, but there, I, I just want to mention you mentioned before we went to the break that there was a Platt story that yes. was out, um, and I just. I, we were a little bit surprised to see that. We think those numbers are misleading. Um, we have, as I said earlier, there are over 20 country, uh, there are over 20 countries who used to be importing Iranian crude that are now at zero. And Platts was reporting that Iran is at pre-sanctions levels. Iran used to be at around 2.7. Um, we have taken off one and a half million barrels just within um, the last 11 months. I can't remember exactly the date. We've taken off a lot of oil. I think Platts is counting cargoes that aren't going to buyers. And what we see is those countries that have SREs are importing at the negotiated levels uh, of imports of Iranian crude. And we're very happy with the kind of, I'll give you an example of the impact we're having. The IMF uh, today, I think it was today or yesterday, revised its global forecast and has Iran's economy um, at negative 5% or higher. And so Iran is very likely in a recession now. And as I said, part of that's because they mismanaged their economy and part of it's because of our sanctions are having an impact. Brian Hook is the special representative for Iran and a senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He's with us here in studio. Uh, the president has spoken of quote unquote, maximum economic pressure campaign against Iran. In terms of if you are in your car driving home from work uh, and, and you're trying to, to figure out what the ultimate end goal for, for President Trump is, is it to ultimately in several years get Iran back to a nuclear disarmament deal? Is it to work with the U.N.? Is it to go? What is obviously we were talking about this earlier. Obviously, President Trump and the U.S. would like to see a, a nuclear disarmed Iran and for them to stop doing missile testing and stop with, with all of that. But is, is, is the goal, I think we sometimes lose sight of, of the May 2nd deadline and whatnot, is the goal of all of this to put so much pressure on them that they have no choice but to, to get to some type of a negotiation? Yes. <clears throat> Iran can either start behaving like a normal nation or they can watch their economy crumble. That's the choice that they face. You have a national security cabinet. Uh, the president's national security cabinet is committed to this, to this policy. In May of last year, Secretary of State Pompeo gave a speech at the Heritage Foundation where he laid out the 12 requirements for Iran so that it starts looking more like a normal nation. That continues to be our policy. Right now, we're denying them the revenue they need. 
to behave like an outlaw regime, and that's going to continue. We would like to get a new deal that replaces the Iran nuclear deal that covers the nuclear threats, the missile threats, and Iran's regional aggression, and also the arbitrary detention of dual nationals, which includes Americans. I would be totally remiss if I did not ask you about your Hollywood background. I, it is my understanding, and I can't believe, talk about a pivot, Tom Keene, if you're listening, talk about a, a rough pivot. You were an extra in Ferris Bueller's day off. In the, in the famous scene, too, with the twist and shout scene. Yeah, Kevin and I were talking about this uh, before we went on TV. It, um, yeah, in, uh, when I was in high school, I, I grew up in Bettendorf, Iowa, and I uh, made a trip to Chicago and happened to be walking downtown as they were filming the uh, parade float scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and so I ended up becoming an extra on John Hughes's film when he's singing Twist and Shout. So that's got to be your favorite movie. Yeah, I think my place in history is secure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> Brian Hook, special representative for Iran and senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Thank you for hanging out with us on Bloomberg uh, Television and Bloomberg Radio. Uh, you can check out his op-ed in the New York Times uh, articulating the U.S. policy for Iran and, of course, all of the uh, administration's positions on U.S.-Iran policy. Uh, our thanks to Brian. You can download the Sound On podcast after the show on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Check us out on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Did you see this? The Fed minutes came out today. Federal Reserve policymakers last month grappling with, quote unquote, significant uncertainties, end quote. Gee, wonder what that is, trade? And persistently low inflation as they scrapped forecasts for interest rate hikes in 2019, even while voicing the need to maintain policy flexibility. I'm reading my colleague's report, Craig Torres. You can read the full full report over on the Bloomberg Terminal. We'll have uh, much more on the economic front coming up, especially from House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, a Democrat from California. She convened the largest gathering of big bank CEOs at a congressional hearing since the 2008 Great Recession, and it was high, high political theater. Sometimes not good theater, but theater Nonetheless, much more on that front coming up. 
But I do want to help break down our exclusive interview today that we just heard from, from Brian Hook. Have you heard his name? Because now you know it. Brian Hook. He is the go-to guy inside of the Trump administration on Iran policy, really the architect of President Trump's Iran nuclear disarmament policy and decision, really, to get out of the uh, Obama administration's Iran deal, JCPOA. He's a senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and a special representative for Iran, has been around uh, national security conservative circles for decades, uh, and we are grateful that he came in studio for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. Hagar Kamali uh, is with me now to help break all of that down, uh, and she is the CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies. She is a former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence in the Obama administration and the former spokesperson for the U.S. mission to the U.N. You heard that interview. What mm -hmm. did you make of it? You know, it was it was fascinating. I mean, it was a great interview. I have a long history in sanctions in particular. So I started my career, believe it or not, under President Bush, working in the Office of Terrorism and Financial Intelligence at Treasury when we started in 2006 the initial sanctions on Iran. And um, so, you know, the things I found fascinating with this interview in particular, certainly the financial aspect, which I want to dive into a little bit more in a, in a second. But, you know, I thought his messaging, on the question of deterring Iran in terms of its support for terrorism and its nefarious behavior across the region and changing its behavior. I thought that was interesting because he's trying to disabuse this belief propagated by many right now that the administration is actually trying to pursue regime change. So between that and his op-ed, which his op-ed was essentially about that topic as well, you know, changing Iran's behavior so that the U.S.-Iran relationship could, could be ignited, um, you know, I thought that was a really interesting point. So do you agree with it? I mean, I think I think that is I think it's the right goal. I don't think regime change makes sense. It's not something that the United States has ever done well. well let me ask a better question. Do you? I mean, so you're saying that, that the U.S. is pretty clear here. The President mm -hmm. Trump and Brian Hook were pretty clear here that they're not pursuing regime change. They're right. trying to get them to negotiate. And I was I was interested in, in your perspective in, in in terms of this this idea of of, of finding the balance between sanctions, mm -hmm. but making sure the sanctions aren't. And you know this, mm -hmm. making sure that the sanctions aren't going to you know shoot the U.S. in the foot, for lack of a better right. term, or hurt U.S. businesses. Totally. So I'm a complete sanctions nerd. I'm so excited to talk about this part in particular. You know, first of all, when it comes to sanctions, and Brian Hook said that part of the goal in listing the IRGC on the foreign terrorist organization list on Monday, actually it, it takes place April 15th, but their, their announcement with the intent to designate them, that part of it was to further financially isolate the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Um, the, the issue there is that you really can't further isolate them than they've already been isolated because they were sanctioned over 10 years ago. So the IRGC was sanctioned in October 2007. I was there at the Treasury Department. It was under the Bush administration, um, under an authority for its support for nuclear programs and, and support for Iran's nuclear program, right? So that was the first. Then the division of the IRGC, known as the Quds Force, which supports terrorist activity in the region, was sanctioned on the same day under the Terrorism Authority. So what does that mean if you're driving home from work and you're like, all right, the U.S. has added more sanctions right. on a wing of Iran's government? What does that mean? Right. It means, listen, it, we've often sanctioned elements of governments that have posed, that have engaged in nefarious behavior, that pose objectionable, yeah. that do objectionable things, right? That's, that's not new. 
um, Brian Hook wasn't certainly wasn't wrong in his explanation of the significance of this action on Monday that we have never labeled a division of a government mm-hmm. as a terrorist. terrorist. Yeah, so that we haven't done that. We have certainly sanctioned them under the Terrorism Authority. What that means is that in 2007, when we did that initially, um, and that was for the IRGC Quds Force, right? The Trump administration then sanctioned the IRGC, not only under the nuclear authority, but under the terrorism authority as well, right? So it means, and, and listen, I hesitate to say this when sanction, with sanctions because I, he, I, I always argue that sanctions are not symbolic, that they have much greater use. Um, and listing an element or an, a government agency on a foreign terrorist organization list does have other legal implica- implications, not just related to sanctions. But at the end of the day, this was about the message. Let's Hagar, be very clear about that. Hagar Kamali is CEO of Greenwich. Greenwich Media Strategy. She's a former Treasury spokesperson in the Obama administration for terrorism and financial intelligence, as well as a former spokesperson for the U.S. mission to the U.N. Switch gears, Venezuela. Oh, yeah. What? Okay. I mean, is Juan Guaido... Who... (laughs) When is... I don't even... I can't even get the question out about whether... Because how do you now sanction Venezuela Uh when we're recognizing Juan Guaido... I mean, and Maduro is just like clinging around. I mean, what do you make? Uh, I, this is such a broad question, but yeah. what additional sanctions for a more precise question, Kevin's really, mm-hmm. would more precise sanctions against Venezuela hurt or help the situation in Venezuela? So Venezuela is an interesting case study, especially when you get to the question of backlash on U.S. businesses. But let's let's get to that after. So when it comes to the role of sanctions in Venezuela, the issue is that the U.S. policy toward Venezuela is aimed at supporting Guaido, supporting an end goal of free and fair elections. This the, this policy, not only sanctions, sanctions has to be part and parcel of a broader strategy. Um, and when it comes to Venezuela, I certainly hope that it is. I think that it is. Um, you know, that one is about regime change, right? We want President Nicolas Maduro to step down. We don't recognize him as a legitimate leader. He's well, been it's repressing not just the his U.S. People. like no one does. Right. And you know you what? The Venezuelan people don't. Absolutely. And I think Speaker I think, Nancy Pelosi doesn't. <laughs> well, it's almost 60 countries have recognized Guaido as the legitimate leader of Venezuela. And most of them, including us, with the condition that he pursue free and fair elections, right? The sanctions are there to help push that along. But it's a situation that is already unfolding in Venezuela with or without our sanctions. We're diving into the geopolitics of sanctions in Venezuela and Iran, a very foreign policy-driven hour today, a special episode of Sound On because of our exclusive interview with Brian Hook, special representative for Iran and a senior policy advisor to uh, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Coming up, we're getting back to domestic politics and that remarkable hearing of the top banking CEOs. I'm going to play for you my interview coming up with House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Nancy Pelosi. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Check us out on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. IMF Week! IMF Week, World Bank, David Malpass, his first comments. Everybody's in town. We are in the middle of it all. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Big day for big banks, the largest convening of financial CEOs in Congress since... 
the Great Recession. I was at that hearing in the House Rayburn building. What a 48, 24 hours, not even 48 hours. What a past 24 hours between in, in Rayburn for the House Financial Services Committee, led, of course, by Chairwoman Maxine Waters. Take a listen to what I interviewed her about earlier today. Here's the chairwoman of the Financial Services Committee. I started out this morning asking them about their lines of business and whether or not they were eliminating lines of business that caused difficult problems in management. Surprised eliminating lines of businesses helped them to do better management, and I wanted that on record. And what do you hope to come out of this hearing as it moves forward? Like, What is the, what is the hope for you uh, to get to the bottom of this once the hearing wraps? Well, my great hope is that uh, the big bang who have had the power to influence the Congress for so many years will understand it is a new day and it is a new way and that they're going to be held accountable. We're looking at their sizes. We're looking at their lines of business. We're looking at whether or not they're lending uh, to homeowners who deserve to have, you know, a mortgage. We're looking at what they're doing for millennials. We're looking at whether or not these banks are centered on just making money for themselves and big profits or whether or not they're going to use that opportunity to help out our communities and with economic development. And just one more question. I know you literally have to go yes. in there to gavel That's in, right. but while I'm here and have yes. you, in terms of looming another potential economic recession, what steps need to be taken, Chairwoman, to prevent another economic recession? Exactly what we're doing now. Legislators have to step up to their responsibility and stop being, you know, puppets for uh, the big banks of America and represent the consumers. And I want that to come out of this committee. I want them to understand, again, that we are going to do oversight. We are going to do investigation. We are going to represent our consumers. That's House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters, a Democrat from California, speaking with me earlier on Bloomberg Television. It was the first hearing since 2009 that the CEOs of the top U.S. banks testified together before Congress. Lawmakers from the House Financial Services Committee questioned bank executives on a host of different issues, including income inequality, financial stability, and their ties to politically controversial uh, industries. And, and, I, and from the bank's perspective, they were putting out there that they are stronger than the crash. They were grateful for the support of the uh, regulators to some extent, taxpayers to a bigger extent, uh, since the 2008 crash, and that they have raised more capital, that they have tried to uh, boost their capital, have more access to liquidity, and, and share access to, to a host of different financial services. But a sign of the times, really, an illustration uh, and, and a moment, a data point, uh, should there, no one wants it, but should there be another economic recession, as some, keywords some, economists are predicting, really a, a key data point in that conversation and at a time when Democratic presidential candidates are making the, the populist issues, issues of the day, a lot of power in that Rayburn House building. Uh, not just those sitting, uh, testifying before Congress, but also including new voices, such as the 29-year-old from Congresswoman, freshman Congresswoman from New York. Of course, I'm talking about Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Reverend Jesse Jackson was there. I asked him if uh, if uh, AOC was being underestimated, and he told me, yes, she is. All right, let's switch back to foreign policy, because we've got 
uh, some great uh, guests joining us in studio. We have Hagar Kamali uh, and my colleague, the legendary, your first time on. I know. I'm psyched. So what did you make of uh, of my big interview with – not my big that's, – that's, no. What did you make of the interview with Brian Hook? I thought what was most interesting to me is what, what Brian – uh, seem to want to go out of his way uh, not to say, which is uh, that um, they really do not want to tip their hand on on whether they're going to issue new waivers for uh, uh, Iran to export oil. And in part, that's because there's this huge fight going on right now in the administration where you have the hardliners like Pompeo up against the harder liners, uh, John Bolton and folks at the NSC who really want to bring, uh, just absolutely crush the Iranian economy, bring oil waivers to zero. And, um, you know, Brian Hook has a lot of other things to think about, chiefly the president who does not want oil above $70 a barrel uh, because of the effect that that may have on U.S. gas prices. And right now oil is at $70 a barrel, so he's got a lot on his mind. Nick, you, you're being modest because you broke the story about those waivers in particular. Uh, and 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 who was going to get access to those waivers? I, it, I mean, he didn't, wouldn't say one way or the other, and we're going to find out on May second. But do you think what or what did you glean from from his responses? I think they will give waivers. Um, I, I think that definitely will happen. And I, th- you know, the, the, what was interesting though what, uh, to me about what he said to you is he said they are going, they are able to accelerate their path to zero on waivers. So that that kind of language, what he's doing there is signaling to the harder liners, to the folks, the NSC and, and people like that, uh, that they are doing all they can uh, really to get Iran to zero. But, you know, we've still got a couple weeks before before he has to make that decision. So so while he wants to appease those guys, he's also got to make sure the oil market remains calm, because what happened last time before the waivers was they were really previewing that they were going to go to zero, and the oil market spiked. That created a lot of panic. They've learned their lessons now. He's being very cautious. He does not want to tip his hand ahead of May 2nd. Nick Wadhams is State Department reporter for Bloomberg News. Uh, really the go-to, I'm not even saying this, like the go-to State Department reporter on the beat. Uh, Hagar Kamali is CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies, worked in the Obama administration at the State Department, uh, and was, I'm always, I always butchered this other title on your resume, Hagar, and I apologize, but the spokeswoman for the U.S. envoy to the U.N., uh, yes, so I was at this. I was spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence at Treasury, and spokesperson and comms director at the U.S. Mission to the United Nations. All right, I want to talk Venezuela, and I want to watch you two kind of engage. So, in terms of Venezuela, what are you going to be looking for? We only have about two minutes left, but what are you going to be looking for for next steps for U.S. and Venezuela? Well, I could see I could see some additional sanctions, but sanctions, as we know, are not the silver bullet, right? I mean, they have to be part and parcel of a broader policy strategy. And so I think the next step really, I mean, the sanctions thus far have been strong, especially PDVSA. They need to be now focused on rallying the other foreign partners to increase pressure on Maduro. I mean, my big question also is that that the administration, when it when it came out and recognized the interim president Juan Guaido, it seemed like they thought this was all going to unravel and Maduro was going to come out in, mm-hmm. uh, very quickly. But that was in January. We're now in April. Do you get the sense that like this hasn't happened as quickly as they wanted? You know, probably on their on their watch. But I can tell you, I handled Syria at the National Security Council at the beginning of the Arab Spring, and I can tell you that. The assumption, they have this assumption that the military was going to defect and that right. it would be mass and that it would undermine Maduro just as it had from a Mubarak in Egypt. Having handled Syria and making that same false assumption when we were at the White House, I can tell you that 
they may assume that it's going to go fast, but these things take years, and it's normal for it to take years. It's also normal for the military not to defect en masse. So you're not worried about that like time horizon seeming to slip because that's just how it goes to me it seems normal all right, right. we're gonna have to leave it there it's imf our thanks to nick wadhams the state department reporter for bloomberg news and of course to hagar kamali friend of the program uh, former treasury official in the obama administrations and to brian hook a the senior advisor to secretary of state mike pompeo happy imf week tom keen is en route to dc I'll be on with them tomorrow morning on Bloomberg Surveillance. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes. Uh, check us out on Spotify, Radio.com, and iHeartRadio, and the Bloomberg Business app. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.